Stein. And we have uh, Tessa and Ross Murray. So the five of us are going to give you our top ten movies of the year. We're going to try and keep this nice and short and sweet, but uh, we just want to be awesome for you. So here we go. Yeah. And uh, oh, also, we're going to check in with our friends Brock Toller and Legrand Smith. Ah, yes. Yes. They will be joining us later in the, in say, the cast. Say that again a little more slowly. Brock Toller and, and Legrand Smith. Mm. Indeed. What crazy names. <laughs> They're like both superheroes. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> Magical. Perfect. Okay, great. So uh, in the interest of, you know, being awesome, uh, we're going to get right into it. Ben, you want to go first? Yeah, sure. I'll go first. I mean, it's been a great movie, great year for film. Uh, my number 10 film is The Wolf of Wall Street. And uh, I think we all know the premise of this. It's about uh, Leonardo DiCaprio plays uh, a Wall Street guy who sort of gets very rich on penny stocks and is has a very he loves drugs and he loves to party and there's all sorts of shenanigans and it's a classic sort of rise and fall and come out okay on the other end tail and I really like this movie because DiCaprio has maybe his best performance um Blue Scorsese did this one with him and it's got a good it's got a good flow shows a lot of the debauchery Jonah Hill is crazy in it I loved him in it uh, but in the end, I only have it as my number 10 because I think outside of the, you know, the crazy antics, there's not too much of a message there. And in the end, I just didn't feel like a lot of the themes had much depth to them. But there it is. Wolf of Wall Street, number 10. Hmm. Uh, I guess that makes me next. Um, my number 10 is American Hustle. Um, I... You know, felt that there wasn't, like, a whole lot going on there, and I kind of have a love-hate relationship with the guy that made it. What, what's that guy's name? David O. Russell. David R. David R. Russell? O. 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 Russell. David O. Russell. Like Sandra O., um, but David O. Okay. Russell. <laughs> <laughs> but it's and his middle name. It's a middle initial. It's a middle initial. It's not O. Russell like O'Malley. <laughs> um, anyway, so American Hustle. You know, it was good. It was funny. I really liked the hair. Like, I think just as, like a period piece it was really good really fun to look at um and i really liked uh amy adams what, what's her name is that is it amy adams yeah it's amy, adams. amy adams performance was just i just loved her um and yeah american hustle solid ross um my number 10 is uh the world's end and the premise of this film is a post-apocalyptic world. Uh, actually, not quite a post-apocalyptic world. It's set in uh, in like somewhere in the East Coast, and these guys are old drinking buddies, and they go to have a drinking frenzy, and they realize that the world is being taken over by... I thought they were in England. Is that what they are? Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, okay. Taking over by like alien zombies. I mean, it is Simon Pegg, so... 
And once again, yeah, spoiler full podcast the, if you haven't seen that movie. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. it's a great film. Uh, a lot of great comedy, farcical elements to it. And I think the Simon Pegg's best performance and really fun. The only thing that I think it lacks is maybe a little bit of, of Brett's on the side of uh, not taking itself so over the top. But it is meant to be that way, and I loved it, so... It's a great movie. Okay. Well, uh, we're going to have, I think, a number of repeats, even though I've looked over some of your lists, and I like that we have uh, a good amount of diversity. But first repeat, I'm with Ben, number 10, Wolf of Wall Street. Um, I'm, I'm with you, Ben, that there are some things that hold me back about it. But on the whole, I found it so raucously funny. I think it's by far DiCaprio's best performance. Mm. And, and I actually think it does... Uh, maybe a little cheaply, but it does kind of approach depth at the end because what Scorsese's really doing is giving us like one of the most riotous movies of the year. And then with this final shot that I'm not going to spoil, he kind of throws it back in our face and kind of uh, eviscerates a culture that, according to him, I think, uh, holds people like this up, holds up shitty people mm-hmm. because they're so intoxicating and fascinating. And I think maybe the message of the movie is that our need to kind of have this like abusive relationship with the people we elect to office and do business with is kind of what has been polluting the country. Uh, but mostly it's just like a really funny, entertaining movie. Uh, so yeah, no, I, I think it's really good. Uh, that's my number 10. Awesome. That's, that's cool. Y- <laughs> you guys, uh, I'm going to go with my number 10, which uh, I believe was Brady's number 20 for the year, but I watched it a little bit ago and, uh, uh, it was very late. It was 3 a.m., and I was, like, riveted and kind of really, like, you know, affected, I guess, by the movie by the end. And that's Captain Phillips, uh, which was very good. Um, there are parts of it where you're like, eh, you can cut this out. Yeah, the opening scene where it's like, oh, yeah, it's going to be uh, it's gonna be kind of hard for our kids uh, walking into a totally different uh, thing. Uh, <laughs> I, mean, I mean, basically, <laughs> in the first scene, Tom Hanks sounds like... Um, like a 20s radio announcer almost, uh, but just like a little more resigned and a little more sighful. However, um, Brady, who was the guy who played the uh, Somalian pirate uh, captain? Barkad Abdi. Barkad Abdi, who's, I believe, nominated for supporting? Uh, yeah, he just won the BAFTA. I mean, he really was kind of uh, <laughs> a lead character, so it's kind of odd. Yeah. But I mean, because <laughs> Tom totally Hanks is a star. But anyway, he was amazing. He did this excellent job. Uh, like, just the sheer like amount of terror in him not even raising his voice was amazing. So that, that was great. Mm. Uh, look, the movie was just very well put together. Uh, Paul Greengrass, you know, usually makes a pretty riveting action thriller, and uh, he managed to pack a lot of emotion into it, too. So my number 10, Captain Phillips. All right, good times. Uh, I'm going on to number nine, and I'm going to go with Blue is the Warmest Color, which is uh, the uh, the French film about, I guess it's about lesbians. It was It got a lot of uh, flack earlier in the year because it got an NC-17 rating and there are several very long and graphic and as near to porn as you can get while not being porn scenes and I believe those sort of distracted a lot of people from the rest of the movie which has a very very good lead performance by uh, what was the lead actress's name? Uh, Adele Coupolis. Yeah she's absolutely amazing I mean I, th- I think some of the sexiest scenes in this movie and it's a very very sexy movie aren't even the sex scenes. It's like when well, there's one scene um, sort of midway through where um, our lead meets her her 
future lover at a bar and they just have this really great back and forth flirting conversation and i feel like the performances are so great and the movie the meaning of the movie is more about the character growth of this woman because she starts off as a 17 year old in high school and the movie spans several years as she you know ages and matures and goes through all these issues and i believe like that's where the meaning and the focus of the movie is not on the sex scenes even though i think they do inform that plot line so i just it was a very enjoyable movie very very sexy watch it with a partner it's great very good sir yes so my number nine before midnight um i really enjoy the entire trilogy of these and i think this was an excellent cap to the to the trilogy um it's just a really excellent look of the at the way that um you know relationships mature and change over time um and i think you know both of the performances obviously great um real and very very realistic um portrayal of just that kind of relationship um so yeah it was just a great end to the to the series so awesome um, my number nine is um, Prisoners, which is a film that came out earlier in the year and didn't it didn't have a lot of focus, but it, the premise is a family living in the on the East Coast. That's <laughs> on the East Coast, and they <laughs> <laughs> not of England, but of America, and they um, essentially have uh, a daughter. And uh, the other family that they go and visit has a daughter, and then they wind up disappearing. And the movie is about two hours long, and it's a great movie. And uh, it's a 25-year-old script. Around the time The Silence of the Lambs was written, it floated around Hollywood forever, couldn't find a home. And the fact that they were able to dust it off and still justify all the characters and the situations in a completely different universe than we had in the world back then. Um, great acting. I, I, I loved it. You said that script was 25 years old? It's over 20 years old. That's amazing. Okay, that's just something not done in Hollywood, but I didn't mean to interrupt, but I yeah, think that it, note needs to be highlighted. Cool. Thanks, man. Awesome. Okay, uh, my number nine is the first of two documentaries on the list. I think this was a fantastic uh, year for documentaries. Mm -hmm. uh, and this is uh, Sarah Polly's Stories We Tell, a young female actress, Canadian actress turned filmmaker, uh, she made uh, Away From Her, the Alzheimer's drama with Julie Christie back in 07, which is very strong. But this is uh, her masterwork. This has uh, converted me to Sarah Polly because it's basically a documentary about her interviewing her family to kind of learn the truth, the inner life of her uh, mother. Because it turns out her mother might have had an affair, so her father is not the person she grew up with. And mostly it's just about all these different family members kind of piecing through the story of the mother's life. And it kind of becomes a, a documentary about how we make documentaries, how we construct narrative, yeah. and how even something as simple as a family history can be viewed differently uh, from person to person. And it's just, yeah, a warm, very moving, humane look uh, from a daughter to a mother that she never really got to know. Uh, yeah, I, I recommend this thing. This is one of the most uh, moving, just in terms of being straight up moving, I think it's one of the best, best of the year. So, yeah, go check it out. All right, cool. I guess that brings it full circle around to me. And my number nine, and a lot of people are going to gasp at this because everybody probably has it higher, uh, is the 
visually stunning, amazing picture by uh, Alfonso Cuaron, Gravity. Um, was amazing the first time I saw it. I was like, you know, gripped to my seat, blah, 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 blah. But I saw it again, and, and it was kind of nothing, uh, knowing what, what happened. Uh, so this is a movie everybody should see once and on a big screen with an awesome sound system. Eh, maybe not twice. Hmm. Um, however, it was very well done. The writing was lacking a little bit. The acting was lacking a little bit. But uh, just the way it was put together, it, it basically, much like Grindhouse Pictures by Robert Rodriguez, it's a totally different medium than film. And, you know, the fact that it made my list is awesome because uh, it, it's an orange compared to the rest of these apples. And it, it's just almost a totally different thing. It's a, out there with Avatar in its own maybe medium uh, beyond genre. So Gravity, my number nine. Uh, critical things to say about it, but, I, you know, Kiron is a visionary and obviously is pioneering and rebuilding the way we do this medium. So anyway, uh, on to Ben. All right, so my number, we're on to number eight now, and I'm going to go with uh, The Spectacular Now, which could very easily be confused for a standard teen coming-of-age comedy, but has a surprising amount of depth and two amazing, amazing lead, co-lead performances. And... Mm -hmm. It just it does a great job of dealing with it actually tackles the issue of teen alcoholism pretty head on, but in my opinion, without ever being heavy handed about it and sort of showing the consequences and the, the effect of you know, our lead characters, you know, how the alcohol affects his life and his goals and his dreams. And it's just it's remarkably sophisticated, it's remarkably nuanced. Um, and it's just a fantastic movie. And if anyone had dismissed this movie because it just looked like another generic teen coming of age thing then you're wrong and you really should go see it <laughs> nice you're wrong you're wrong okay so my number eight is fruitvale station and this movie i need to see it again um i saw it in the theaters and i i cried like i was bawling at the end i think it's a really important movie it was really it was really interesting to watch because um, I mean I live in Oakland. There's a scene where uh, he goes into the he used to work at Joe's Joe's Market or so, I can't remember what it was called. This is but, the, the Oscar yeah, Grant movie. Yeah, the right? Oscar Grant movie. Yeah. Um, and like he goes in and and like that was where I used to shop. So you know just seeing Oakland in a move in a real movie was kind of cool. But then, like, more than that, it's it's a really important movie about a really important topic. Um, and I thought that, you know, the the cell phone footage, the way that they, like, showed what happened was really straightforward. And it was just a very, like, honest picture of a person. Um, so a, a lot of it was just about his life um, and not, not even necessarily what happened there's a thing with a dog that brady hates but because it didn't happen but i i can forgive it that so but it is my solidly my number eight i and i really did love it and i could talk about it forever but oh, just to cut in uh yeah fruitfield station missed my top 20 but i don't hate it i, I gave it a b plus a minus i think it's yeah. a really strong picture i'd also encourage people to go check oh, that out everyone should watch it it's great yeah cool my, my number eight is dallas buyers club and it takes place in the 1970s and 80s uh, in Texas about 
a true story about a man who contracts HIV. And he essentially, the premise is, what does a man do if he is closeted bisexual in a society where it's not accepted and he can't get treatment for himself? So he decides to create his own facility for treatment, and it winds up helping himself and thousands of people. And uh, it's Matthew McConaughey's my favorite performance that I've seen of his. And uh, it has a lot of levels to it on his specific performance. And I, I mainly have it in my 10 because of his performance, because it's not like anything I've ever seen him do before. Um, he looked emaciated, and he was a cowboy, and he was just working on a lot of, a lot of really, really interesting levels that, that were that clearly looked exhausting and felt exhausting. Jared Leto gives a great performance, and um, it's a really thoughtful look at um, what's underneath the problems that people have. We have problems in society dealing with homosexuality, but but what those problems are are really deeper about our society, not so much about the homosexuality. And I thought that was a very interesting way of looking at how people have to cope with what they have to deal with. So, I have a question. Um, I haven't seen it. So, is he is he actually bisexual? He's. That's the interesting thing. Is the script kind of leaves it open ended for you to oh. figure it out for yourself because he contracted HIV from a woman, but the whole movie gay men are flirting with him and also people are asking him if he's gay and calling him gay so that's not the same thing as having like an openly bi character or at least well what's implied to be actually bi sure yeah i know he the cho a lot of the choices he makes are are um it he leaves it open-ended as an actor so he gives us the opportunity to see that which i really like okay cool i was just curious <laughs> I would agree. It's a strongly acted film, even though I'm I'm a little more lukewarm on the script and the directing. Uh, so my number eight, and this is last minute. My number seven is dropped <laughs> to number eight, but I oh love this movie still. Dun, dun, dun. It's Before Midnight. Uh, one of my favorite. It, no, no, it is my favorite trilogy that I've seen. Uh, in my opinion, the finest trilogy ever made is Richard Linklater's Before series. Uh, wise and humane and funny and witty and erudite about not just about love but also mm. they're great films about time and each one has its own kind of nifty time structure to it uh and but really it's also just about fantastic acting ethan hawk has never been better than when he's in these movies and it's really a shame that julie delpy wasn't nominated for best actress because i think she's fantastic this is a, yeah it retains a lot of the warmth and humanity of the first two films about these two characters we catch up with them every nine years uh, and at this point they're married and have children. And so it has a lot of that warmth and wit and humanity, but it's also a very real, painful even, look at kind of what happens to a relationship over time and just, you know, kind of the hard realities of being with a person day in, day out. And so there's this climactic scene that uh, involves an argument that's just one of the most tense, nail-biting things. You know, in a year that brought us gravity and a lot of good, and 12 Years a Slave and good nail-biting stuff, in a, a more conventional way, that hotel fight scene in Before Midnight is one of the tensest damn things I saw I in a movie theater all year. So, yeah, it's a fantastic movie. Yeah, I will it. contribute my own thoughts when I get to it on my list. But <laughs> we, we have some time before then. All right, Why someone's then. saying it better than I did. Just like, it was good. <laughs> 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 so, my number seven. Eight. Eight. You're still eight. at eight. 
Sorry, I did the 10 minus 3 math and then sent it to the <laughs> add one. What must it be like to be you? Uh, it's kind of like uh, trying to figure out how many math problems you have <laughs> when you're in uh, high school and they say you got to do from 20 to 40 and you're like, ah, oh, shit, that's 20. Oh, wait, no, it's 21. All the odd questions are in the back of the book, the answers. Yeah, that's I know. True. True. But not the evens. They're all, they're oh, all oh, written. Oh, yeah, that's why they used to make you do the fucking evens. <laughs> <laughs> At any rate, uh, my number eight, <laughs> Show your which work. is 10 minus 3 plus 1 equals 8, so there we go, uh, is, see I showed my work, The World's End, uh, Simon Pegg's final in the uh, the something trilogy. What's that trilogy called, Brady? Uh, the Cornetto Trilogy, yeah. another fantastic trilogy. Yes, also a fantastic trilogy. Trilogies are great. People should do more <laughs> trilogies. Uh, hopefully we'll see a third Majete movie. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway. <laughs> yes, thank you, Rob. Thank you. <laughs> Sorry, I'm getting Brady's goat again. Um, Take the mick out Yeah, of I'm him. just going to keep mentioning Robert Rodriguez and Machete and stuff like that. It's uh, a good movie. The World's End. Simon Pegg, um, uh, we've already heard this premise, but basically um, Simon Pegg's this kind of do-nothing, hasn't done anything with his life while all his friends from college have, and his dream is to relive college and kind of bring everybody back to it. Uh, it's an amazing parable for um, just, I think, the predicament a lot of people are in. Uh, you hit your, your, you feel like you hit your prime when you're in your 20s, uh, hmm. even, even so early 20s. I saw a picture of my friends from college, and I was just like, man, we were such kids. But anyway, you <laughs> kind of want to go back to that all the time, uh, sometimes. <laughs> 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 and it's, it's just a movie about that, and it's a movie, you know, it's that juxtaposed with, kind of the end of the world and um you know the idea of getting older and losing that uh juxtaposed with the end of the world basically says something like you know it's all coming to an end and it sucks and uh, it just made everything real sad but no. anyway that's my number Aww. eight and then we're gonna roll around <laughs> to ben sad. <laughs> i can hear the so violins now to continue on with my number seven which is also a sad movie uh, it's Blue Jasmine, uh, highlighted most importantly by Kate Blanchett's phenomenal, phenomenal performance. Uh, she basically plays a Wall Street socialite, I guess, trophy wife. Um, mm. Not necessarily trophy wife, but, you know, she's the good-looking wife who doesn't do anything uh, <laughs> to Alec Baldwin. And he, before the film starts, Alec Baldwin gets taken down as basically um, a Madoff-level scandal. And all their wealth is gone, and she has to move to San Francisco to live with her, uh, you know, working class sister. And she's got many, many issues. A lot of them are pride and vanity, and uh, trying to ignore all of her problems. And the more I watched this movie, or the more I thought about it, the higher it went up on my list. Because at first I thought it was a nothing script, and just an amazing performance. But the more I looked into it, there was a lot of very good. Um, touching on the themes about you know, class issues in America, uh, about how we venerate or denigrate you know, the Wall Street money men, um, how do we value the work that we do, um, and sometimes you know, when, when these guys get taken down, real people's lives get destroyed. And I thought it was a very good visceral look about confronting those issues, and then with a character who has a lot of trouble dealing with the issues. So fantastic movie and if she doesn't win best actress then uh then we're living in an alternate universe 
All right, we're at seven, yeah? Um, yes, seven. My number seven is Frozen. Um, I really, really enjoyed Frozen. I We haven't had, like, the best pick of animation this year, and I, you know, I wanted to include something. Um, but it actually made my seven. It's not, like, my number ten. Um, you know, I really did enjoy it. It was very fun to watch. The songs were, like, as a, a musical, it was very, very good. Um the the little snowman funny when you wouldn't expect it that that is probably what really won me over is just that um and i read that a lot of the lines that the snowman had were ad-libbed by the actor but some of them were also written for him um and just i think that that's in that's just incredible writing that that character should have been horrible and unlikable and jar jar binks and he was like the best part of the movie um, the other thing that's great is, you know, it's it's actually a movie about sisters, um, which we haven't seen since Lilo and Stitch. It's um, just a fantastic. Lilo and Stitch were girls. No, the si- they're sisters. <laughs> Lilo and her sister Stitch. <laughs> the the sis- thing. They were orphans. They were orphans. Like they are, they're orphans. They were orphans, and they- she lived with her older sister. Anyway, oh. um, so kind of. Just and then also like a, I saw a lot of this on Tumblr. Tumblr's obsessed with Frozen. Um, is yeah, <laughs> they. Um, it, it's also a lot about social anxiety, and um, it just does a really amazing job of showing what that feels like. Um, so, number seven, Frozen. Cool. My number seven is Blue Jasmine. Yay. Um, I agree with everything that Ben. I agree with everything that Ben said. Um, my number seven is Blue Jasmine. And, um, yeah, it's a great film. Um, I agree with everything that Ben said about it. I started out thinking it was a good movie with an amazing performance. And the more I think about the film, the more I realize it's a really, really thoughtful, patient, delicate, humble film. And the performance is one of the best female performances that's ever existed <laughs> next to the Joan of Arc that was a silent film before they had talkies and if and it's honestly like comparable in its parable to King Lear in terms of everything that she has and everything that she loses so it's very shakespearean and very beautiful and uh haunting awesome I also agree. Blue Jasmine rises uh, day by day for me, even though it's not going to make my top ten. So my number seven is one that's been climbing my list. I think I originally had it at number nine. It's my second and final documentary on the top ten, and it's The Act of Killing. Mm. Uh, It's essentially a documentary about this, looking at this period in Indonesian history, I believe in the early 60s, when uh, the military started taking over the formerly communist government and basically just cleaned house. They hired thugs and gangsters to murder, straight up murder, anyone that was even suspected of being a communist. And, you know, you have one of these gangster characters reminiscing that basically says like, oh, yeah, we, we burned them, we hung them, we ran over them with cars. So it's about a horrific atrocity. But what the filmmaker does is he's found these gangsters now who are still in positions of power, all of them, and he's given them money and cameras and everything they need to essentially reenact their crimes which they do with gleeful pride. Uh, And the country itself still stands by these horrible actions and is basically raising a youth that's going to do the same thing, have the same despicable attitude toward communists. And so 
it's about kind of this surreal, horrific thing that happened and actually watching these men reenact their crimes. Uh, but without giving too much away, I think it's also a little bit about the karmic power of art because, mm-hmm. you know, not all the characters go through this, but I'd say our main character, you kind of watch him go through a crisis of conscience that's brought on by him actually having to restage these acts. And so it, it's really a despairing film, and I don't think in the end it thinks that art is going to save or put back the horrible things that went wrong, but it's an interesting commentary on on kind of the power of film to to reshape the way people think about history. Uh, so, yeah, no, it, it's an incredible film. I need, to, I need to rewatch that because I saw parts of it while you were watching it and I was running around doing other stuff, but, yeah, that sounds really good. Yeah, I've heard a lot about that, but yeah, I just haven't seen any docs this year. Uh, I'll get to them eventually. This year is the year that I've seen the most films at, like, during the year when they came out. I usually end up seeing a good 15 of them, you know, over the next two years. So you can you can wait for my true top ten for two years, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, my number seven is uh, kind of a movie I didn't like very much, but I think it was very <laughs> well done. Uh, and that is Inside Lewin Davis. Um, <laughs> I believe it was meant to maybe not be so likable. Uh, even when I look back on it and I think about mm. what was on the screen and, and what was in it, uh, it doesn't register in color to me. It registers in black and white because there are so many different ways to interpret this character and interpret kind of what's going on in the world around him and the way he reflects upon himself and that reflection reflects in another mirror and just kind of creates this panorama of different shades of gray. It's just so interesting and so, like, consuming. Uh, It doesn't make you feel great. (laughs) But it's something that, you know, you really can't escape. And... uh, probably one of the better things the Coen brothers have done. They're really uh, getting past just making enjoyable movies and just starting to make things that just kind of shape the way you, you look at people, I guess. Um, so that's why it's my number seven. As my brother said, there are two types of Coen brothers movies. The kind where people find a box of money and the kind where they don't. <laughs> yeah, this one they definitely did not. No, I don't like no. it as much. There was not a box of money in that <laughs> one. There's a box, though. He's got his box of, uh, of old records. He's got a cat, yes. too. And a cat. <laughs> Keeps losing the cat, though. Um, okay, so my number six. On to number six. I'm going to go with American Hustle. And I really loved this movie. Um, it's been getting a lot of... It's been like the easy movie to hate in the Best Picture nominees. Like, it's getting a lot of flack, which I think is undeserved. Um I think it's far more intricately and expertly plotted than a lot of people think. And I think what makes it very interesting is that our four lead characters um, are all, to a certain extent, hustling their way through life. They think they know what they want or they do know what they want. And they're actively sort of making their outward appearance and the way they interact with the world help them to their goal. And, you know, they find themselves in tight spots and some of them have you know, better self-awareness than others. Um, but you know, some of the best (laughs) acting performances I've ever seen, um, Amy Adams is out of this world, like, like Tess said. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think that the movie does get a bunch of flack for pulling its own con on the audience. And eventually at some point towards the end of the movie, there's a, a reveal where, um, you find out that the film didn't show us a few scenes and some characters are conning other characters. Again, spoilerful. Yeah. Well, I don't want to, I don't want (laughs) to. I don't need to. Um, But I feel like 
a lot of the criticism was that that reveal wasn't very well done. But I've seen the movie a couple times, and I I feel safe in saying that they sufficiently foreshadowed it with some nuance throughout the film, especially in what Amy Adams did. And uh, yeah, just great style, great look to the film, really enjoyed it the whole way through. And it is based on a true story, so it's not going to end how people want it to end. I'm just going to say something real quick because there'll be no other point in time when I'll talk about American Hustle. Uh, It was beautiful. The costumes were great. The set design was great. The cinematography was great. The acting was phenomenal. It somehow managed to be less than all those things put together. (laughs) I don't understand why everybody ranks it so highly. That's just my two cents. I thought they fit together better than you did. That's all. Yeah, Yeah, that's probably it. I mean, I I thought it was a good movie. I'll get to it later. Don't understand why it's up there, you know? Okay. Uh, we're on number six now. Um, this movie, honestly, I should probably have higher, but I, there just wasn't room for it. Um, I could talk about this movie probably for the entire length of the movie. So if you're interested in my commentary, we'll sit down sometime. Um, <laughs> All is lost. I absolutely loved this. It was it was just uh, riveting. I thought I wouldn't like like hearing about it. I thought oh, this is gonna be just a slog it's going to be hard to watch and like it was hard to watch but it was definitely not a slog (laughs) it was like it was it was entertaining the entire time i was riveted i was deeply invested in the character he says maybe i think he swears like once but other than that he doesn't talk robert redford amazing performance from this guy and i'm so not used to seeing him as like an old man i just (laughs) um but yeah he's really he really, I did not expect to get a performance like that from him. I don't know why, but he was so good. And then just like thematically, I thought there was a lot of really interesting commentary for n- having a movie with almost no dialogue. Um, no dialogue, actually, and, and almost no talking. Um, it, so it opens with um, you see just something floating in the ocean and you don't exactly know what it is yet. And then it turns out to be a, a shipping container, like, uh, that you would see on a train, like a train box. But in the, like, and you would kind of are going, like, I, I was wondering how the hell it got there. And then later on, you see, you know, a boat that has, like, tons of them on them, because that's how they, they're shipping containers. They're on a ship. Um, and just, I thought it was, like, a really interesting um, look at just automation and kind of how just our modern society like has isolated us so (laughs) um i could literally talk about it forever all is lost number six cool all right well my number six movie i'm oscillating so i'm just gonna keep it the way that it is um because my six and my four so my number six film is the spectacular now um which is as Ben shared about the youth of our new counterculture and alcoholism specifically, but also about innocence and losing it and trying to find it again. And uh, specifically uh, the actors in this, uh, Miles Teller and what's her name? Ooh, uh, Shailene Woodley. Shailene Woodley, who is going to be in Spider-Man 2 playing uh, Mary Jane. Um, cool. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, fantastic actors and they're like you know out of high school and it's amazing to see them work so hard i've seen this movie five times 
I can't say enough about it. I, I think it's an absolute A. The only oscillation I have between any of the movies in this top ten, uh, especially from six up, is just a, a, a style preference. And because it's a really innocent film like, like a, a Young Deer or something, it's lower on the list, and on most people's list, it, it, it probably wouldn't be. Cool. All right. Uh, my number six is a movie that we uh, pretty recently covered on the show, uh, and that's Noah Baumbach's Francis Ha. Uh, I think Baumbach's an interesting voice, uh, and I think The Squid and the Whale is a really great movie that I need to revisit. Uh, but I also have had issues with him. He's kind of he can come off a little bit like a bitter jerk. So I'm impressed by Francis Ha because Francis Ha has a healthy amount of bitterness to it. It's about 20-somethings kind of lost in the world. It's very much a movie for post-recession times Mm. about people adrift trying to figure life out, but also kind of having to make hard compromises that maybe the life you had planned for yourself isn't uh, isn't the life you're going to have as we follow this uh, kind of awkward, gangly, female, would-be dancer as she's uh, basically, it's about her going from place to place. It's about trying to find a place. Uh, and so I really like this movie because it's, I think, Bombach's most humane movie. Uh, all the bitterness is leavened with also a sweetness and a very, a very empathetic yeah, portrayal of, of lost youth. Uh, but in the end, it lands on the side of you're going to be OK. If, if things are different, they'll be different. But you'll figure you'll figure life out. And, it, you know, I think, uh, yeah, we need more movies that are about that and uh yeah I, I love this one this is uh one of my highest climbers on the list so go see it yeah my number six uh, is the same thing francis ha um brady said most of it but i do want to say that i think Baumbach's uh amazing i think his writing is phenomenal but usually not um upon first viewing um and usually not upon first thinking like all his movies are the kind of movie it, they they're almost um they're almost set in the near future, and they just register so much better when you pop back to, say, The Squid and the Whale now and look at it and go, oh, it's like he was feeling that alienation ahead of time. Um, and so I think if everybody were to watch Francis Hall in about a year and a half or two years, that we're kind of going to uh, gel with it a lot more. And he, he's almost a predictor of what's coming up, and that's um, – it's probably not why I like Francis Ha. That's why I like Noah Baumbach. But I like Francis Ha for all the reasons Brady said. And so with that, uh, let's go take a little brief intermission. We got uh, Sir Grandy and uh, Sir Brock in the other room. That is Sir Brock. I hope they're playing Sir chess. And <laughs> Sir Grandy. And uh, they're going to give us a, a quick little back and forth of uh, what they like. I'd like to know who's winning that chess game. I'll ask them. I bet it's Brock. <laughs> I think it's probably Grandy. Unless Grandy says that Brock's winning. Well, I'm I'm going with Brock out of loyalty. Podcasting partners for life. All right. And with that, we'll be back after the brief intermission. So this is Brock from the Baseball Diaspora podcast, uh, chipping in with my 2013 top 10. And it's a little unconventional because I have not seen all of the big name movies yet. I'm missing Gravity. Wolf of Wall Street, American Hustle, some of the other big names. So, oh, no, no, man, that's a good thing. You're going to give us this interesting take. Yeah, on it. It, it's a little, it's a little crazy because of that. So here, I'm just going to run it down ten to one the way that these guys do it on the uh, rank it. So at number ten, this one's a tough one because it's Blue Jasmine, 
and it probably would have ranked higher, but I'm feeling really conflicted about Woody Allen right now. And it, given the films that I've seen, it wasn't enough to drop it completely off the list, but I had to dock at major points because of what's, you know, been in the news recently. So Blue Jasmine, number 10, but still an outstanding entry in his overall work. Number nine, this is another kind of tricky one. I'm a huge Evil Dead fan from the original. So I, I had to get the remake on the list, even though maybe it's not the best film of 2013. Oh man, it dude, still that, holds a special place in my heart. Dude, and has some that climax scenes. scene at the end. Well, remember we saw that on like the midnight showing. Yeah, and it gets to the climax scene. Exactly. You see the Evil Dead, like like the the horror gore and the glory of it all is just like that beautiful scene with like the chainsaw. And it's like, oh, yeah. oh my god, it's ridiculous. Absolutely, so good. Yeah. So at at number eight, I'm going with. Enough said. Kind of a small sort of rom commy almost film. Uh, but, you know, it was a really refreshing performance from James Gandolfini. And in a year when we lost a, an actor of his stature, it was I, I have to put that one on the list because it was really something different than a lot of the, the work we've seen him in in the past. And I just I loved his chemistry with Julie Louise Dreyfus. Love the performance from Catherine Keener and uh, some of the other actors and actresses in the film. It was just a good little piece, you know, nothing mind blowing, nothing world changing, but, you know, just a good little romantic comedy for for everybody. Yeah, I've heard a lot about that. I've heard it's really good and I, I do definitely want to see that. I second it. He would have made my supporting actor ballot. I think it's a shame that he didn't get it. So at number seven, going with a little bit now t talking about world changing and mind bending. Uh, Room 237, documentary about uh, Stanley Kubrick's The Shining and all of the subtext that numerous crazy people have found, some of them more plausible than others. Uh, it's, sort of a, it's sort of a spiral of, it starts off with really intriguing and interesting conspiracy theories about The Shining, and it, it spirals into just some crazy dark places, which is kind of fabulous. I mean, it, it ultimately... I thought it was a little longer than it should have been, but I was still. There's I felt nothing the same like about it. The Shining. Well, that that may be true, <laughs> but there, there's nothing else like this Room Two Three Seven, and it it was really a, a film that I was excited about that I saw, and I do not regret seeing. I probably don't really want to see it again though. <laughs> uh, at number six, The Wall. It's a German film. It came out. It was. It, I I think it's. It US came out release. in 1989, and it's Pink Floyd. You know, it's not. It's actually about. It's actually a movie. It's actually and not a record. A, it, well, there's a movie. There was a, there was a movie. Oh, there was a movie. Floyd's the Wall. Yeah, but I this is not Pink Floyd's the Wall. This was a German movie. It's uh, the basic story is a woman goes up to a hunting lodge in rural Germany, up in the mountains, and she wakes up one morning, and all around the property there is an invisible wall that she cannot breach. She's in there by herself. She's the only person, and there's some animals. And outside, it appears is that the it world in has German? ended. No, well, you, the the dialogue is in German. The narration is in English, which is a strange choice. That sounds really cool. Okay, it go is on. really cool, and and it's very German. Like the you know her her philosophical and existential narration is very German, and and it's just it's an interesting take on the whole you know apocalyptic world's end kind of movie. You know, hmm. so so that's at number six, number five. I've got Mud, mm -hmm. Matthew McConaughey's uh, film about 
a a couple boys down in in Texas. It is uh, the year of the McConaughey. It is the year of the McConaughey. This is the only one of his that's making my list. But uh, Mud makes the list for me. Just a really interesting coming of age story about a couple boys who help out an, a drifter of some kind. And uh, I, I don't know exactly. I don't want to give too much of the movie away. But it, it's it's a really strong performance, both from Matthew McConaughey himself. Oh no, man! Spoiler full podcast. You can say whatever you want. Man. And you know uh, what is what is the kid's name? Ty. Ty Sheridan. Ty Sheridan, who, I mean, is just all over the place these days. He's, I'm, I can't wait for this film. He's going to be in with Nicolas Cage, which seems like basically a mud sequel uh, where Nicolas Cage plays a crazy logger who, uh, you know, sort of takes Ty Sheridan under his wing, similar to the way that Mud did in that film. Uh, so, I mean, that kid's all over the place. Great performance from him. So that, that, one, that one had to make the list. Number four, I'm a big um, Simon Pegg, Nick Frost fans so the world's end is definitely on there it, just another fabulous entry from those guys and i mean i i got nothing else to say about it it's just go watch that movie go watch all their movies because it's a lot of fun and you know just a, a, i i love what those guys are continuing to do with the sci-fi horror genre you know just continue to make good solid entries in that that have a comedic angle yep at number three <coughs> the act of killing a completely bananas documentary about genocide in indonesia that everyone should see and be horrified by <laughs> i really want to see that one but i'm also just like i i can't i i know it's gonna be brutal it's tough and you know but there's a lot of interesting elements to it that just that make it different than i expected and it's great so uh in a, in a similar vein number two 12 years a slave also about horrible things happening and uh slightly less disturbing to me maybe so but uh but still nonetheless a, a, but masterful performances from you know many of the actors in that film and you know it was one that until the the following film came uh along into my life i had at the number one slot probably but at number one her had to at least at present with you know my own limited slate of movies that i've seen that's that was the one that, that kind of took the top spot for me in 2013. I think just seeing, you know, I, I, I think it's been a while since any of us have seen a, a Spike Jones film and he came back strong and, you know, there was a lot of empathy in the characters and, and just a really kind of humor and just interesting concepts about our near future that I think all of that added up to, to me or for me to being a really uh outstanding film so there you go that's my top 10 wonderful excellent great job dude like uh i haven't seen some of those and i know i should but it's hard well you know i i i feel the same way because i was looking through the whole list of movies that came out last year and i was kind of like i really want to see that one really wanted to see that one and, and and we're talking about before the oscar season even started just like oh you know i still need to see that one. Oh, god that one too and just the list, and, and obviously, if I looked back at 2012, it would be the same thing. Well, excellent job. I haven't blinked for the past eight minutes, and now I've forgotten how, so I'm going to go. Break it. Bitch! <laughs>